turn together to the book of Genesis chapter 12. We're in a stretch of, uh, of the history of our faith that points very, in very obvious ways to what we were just singing about. And really everything in the Old Testament points toward it in a very like, cool way, which we'll get into some of that later on. But you, um, you may begin to, to see some of those correlations in the way that that God, uh, from the very beginning, is starting to point toward uh, the coming Redeemer uh, from Him sending His Son to, uh, to do the very things we've been singing about, the progression of the songs tonight, from the, the greatness of God to, and the reign forever of God is all made possible through what, uh, as far as us participating in it, is made possible through what Jesus has done and so we're starting to see, to see the fact that it wasn't just when Jesus showed up that uh, the gospel was being proclaimed. It goes all the way back to the beginnings. And so with each of these uh, heroes of faith, we see this uh, you know, just a little bit. Uh, tonight we get, we get to the part of Hebrews 11 that talks about Sarah, who is Abraham's wife. And uh, so what, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of run through Genesis like 12 through, you know, whatever, and kind of hit some of the high points so that you see the, the plot kind of unfolding a little bit. Um, in Genesis 12, uh, last week, we looked at this part. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. When it says there in verse 2, I will make of you a great nation, he's talking about uh, like his family line. That he is going to, uh, through Abraham and his descendants, he's going to make them into a great nation. Uh, the difficult part about this is that uh, Abram and his wife, Sarah, uh, they have been unable to have children and so the, the idea of an heir uh, sounds awesome to them. Uh, and the, uh, God taking them and making their descendants into a great nation you know, certainly is incredible. But they don't have any kids. They haven't been able to have kids. And so that certainly probably seems a little problematic. But they go. They leave their, their home uh, and set out for a place where God will ultimately show them where he will establish this new nation through their descendants. Uh, if you kind of flip over to chapter 15, uh, there's a number of things that happen between 12 and 15, obviously. Um, but 15, we see him, uh, we see God and, and Abram making another, having another interaction. Verse 1 After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven 
and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Uh, so, so Abram's getting kind of, kind of nervous, saying, I know you're saying you're going you're gonna, to have all these descendants, but right now uh, my heir will be someone who's not a blood relative. It'll be another you know, part of my household, and I don't really understand this. And God's like, no, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. And through your line, you have more descendants than there are stars in the sky. Okay? Uh, so look at 16. Verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be uh, that I shall, I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. All right, so, um, so God had made a promise to them that they would have a son. Sarah uh, gets, just decides to take matters into her own hands and says, if I can't uh, give you an heir, then uh, you will have a child with one of our servants. And so that's what Sarah decided to do. And so she, at some point, went to him and said, hey, this is, this is going to be the plan. Abram, in a great and un- unbelievable act of uh, passivity, goes along with it, and, uh, and that's what happens. So she gets pregnant, and she has a, a child. His name is Ishmael, and uh, that's kind of the way things go. So even though God promised him a son uh, and promised them together, of course, a son, Sarah decided that she, uh, she can't give him a son and someone else can and whatever. Uh, so she kind of took matters into her own hands and... Uh, yeah, so there's some, you know, some stuff goes down. And then verse 17, uh, we see um, kind of a, a, pretty, a pretty cool story. Um, verse 15 in chapter 17. God said to Abraham, so he's, he's changed his name. He changed Sarah's name as well. Uh, God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her uh, Sarah, but Sarah, you know, whatever, um, shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Kind of saying, like, how about Ishmael be the, be the one? You know, the heir, like the, the, the one through whom you will make all these nations. How about it be Ishmael? And God said in verse 19, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Go to chapter 18. Abraham is in the, the tent, and uh, these three men show up outside, and he goes outside, and he recognizes immediately that one of them is, uh, is deity, you know, is God. And so uh, it's God, and it's two angels that show up. And so there's this whole conversation between, between them. It's pretty awesome. Verse 9, uh, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, she's in the tent. 
Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be, uh, had ceased to be with Sarah. All right? So all the biological things that need to be going on in order for a child to be born were not happening. All right? Leave it at that. And so, um, verse 12, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, talking about Abraham, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So, you ever been called out by the Lord himself? Uh, that just happened. And so, uh, so then if you uh, flip over to chapter 21. Genesis 21, starting in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. She said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So that's the, that's the storyline. Uh, God says, hey, I know that this is completely uh, not possible from your perspective, but you're going to have a, a, an heir, and uh, I'm going to bless the whole world through your family. Sarah d- decides, like, well, uh, obviously I'm not going to be the one to um, have this child, so she arranges for him to have a child with someone else. She, he has a child with someone else. God says, no, that's not going to be the kid. I'm going to take care of that kid. That's gonna, all going to be fine, but I'm going to give you your own heir, you as a couple, uh, even though you're, you should not be like you're not within the age range of that happening, it's going to happen anyway, and then it does happen, and they both kind of have a chuckle, like, man, who is ever going to believe that this is really that this has really happened? Um, so that's where things land. So if you flip over to Hebrews 11, um, it gets to the point where you know uh, the author of Hebrews is going through giving all these folks who have walked by faith, walked with God, lived by faith as models uh, for us to pattern our lives after. In verse 11, it says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who is promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So we're going to look at those two verses with the whole story in mind. I think there's some important things that we can learn from what, is, what happened, both in Sarah and Abraham's role, and also the role of the Lord. Uh, and so I, I, I really do try to organize my thoughts before I get up here. 
And sometimes it even comes out in nice, neat ways for you to take notes. And some of that's for you, and some of that's for me, because I'm a rabbit chaser, like there's no tomorrow. And so, uh, so there are, uh, yet again, three points. And, uh, and they're all going to be set up in, like, like, this versus this kind of statements. Because I think there are some things that we really can learn about the Lord uh, through the way that He interacts with them. And really, like, they made some dumb moves in this story. Uh, yet here they are in Hebrews 11, God saying, hey, pattern, pattern yourselves after, after them. Learn, learn from what they have done. Learn from what they have been through. And I, I really dig when, when you realize that the, some of the people in the Bible like, weren't perfect. You know? like they had like, major issues. Like they did things that you're just shaking your head. Being like, How in the world could you have gone along with this? Uh, and God's like, no, guess what? I, I didn't like destroy them with a lightning bolt. You know, like I, it's all okay. In fact, there are things about their lives you should uh, imitate. Um, I think that's pretty cool. So there's going to be three of them. Uh, the first thing uh, is, is going to be this. It's, it's karma versus grace is what we see uh, in this story. Uh, karma versus grace. So several years ago, we took our community groups through a book called The Good and Beautiful God. And a lot of you were a part of that, uh, but a lot of you weren't a part of that. And uh, right now we're taking the college community group through that just as a means of, of kind of giving them some foundational things as far as like if you want to, be a, if you want to know some of the things that, that we're about, here's some pretty big ideas that God's been uh, stirring in us and teaching us for the last few years. And, and so we talked about some of this a few weeks ago. And uh, even though I've been hearing this stuff for years and uh, just trying to implement it and learn from it. Uh, it's like it's fresh every single time. It's, it's just really stunning to, to know how God just keeps taking the same things and, and over and over again, uh, just kind of teaching us and growing us through them. And, and so we talk about karma, and, and I know there's probably different ways to think about karma, and uh, I'm not trying to you know, get into all that kind of stuff, but if, the aspect of karma that you, you get what you deserve that's a, that's a big one, you know. Um, and we see it in movies, we see it in literature, we see it in My Name is Earl. I mean, we see it like all over us culturally. Uh, that's right. And so, um, and so there's this idea that like, oh, I've done all these bad things and so bad things are coming my way. So if I can do more good things, then more good things will come my way. And um, it's kind of like, a, no, you, if, you're, if you're a terrible person, then you, you're going to have a terrible life. Like that's how it works. It, it's going to come back to you. Um, and you get what you deserve. And so we see the difference between karma and grace in this story because uh, if karma were true, like if that's really how it worked, and, it, and it's not. Like karma is it's one of the most ridiculous things of all time. We know it doesn't work because you have people who do really terrible things that end up with really cush lives. you know, um, And you see really great people really struggle. And so, uh, you know... Good people and bad people end up in good situations, and good people and bad people end up in bad situations. So karma really falls apart, but uh, a lot of people just, they want something, something to help them make sense of the universe or whatever. Uh, and, um, and that's just something that sometimes we tend to project that onto the Lord, and that's just not the way it works. And so uh, when, like look at, look at verse 11 in Hebrews 11. We're going to stay in Hebrews 11. So, uh, well, sort of. But um, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. She considered, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Um, that doesn't really tell all the all the backstory, does it? Verse 12 doesn't either. 
Therefore, from one man, and, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This doesn't tell all the stuff that we looked at in Genesis 12 through 21, does it? See, that's how we, like we see that, okay, karma is not how God works. It's not how the kingdom of God works, because it's not how he works. You don't get what you deserve. I mean, Sarah, she, uh, she took a promise from God and manipulated the situation in order to try and make it happen. She was impatient. She didn't, you know, she maybe wasn't on board, didn't understand. She doubted to the point where when God said, uh, she's like eavesdropping on this conversation, and God's like, your wife's going to have a son, and she laughs at the Lord. And then when he's like, why'd you laugh? She's like, I didn't laugh. He's like, I totally heard you laugh. I was right here. And she lied about it. She manipulated things, and she tried to just whatever. And Abraham just went along with it like a dummy, right? I mean, who does that? And so they both, they were both just kind of dumb, you know? They made some bad decisions. They, they did exactly what you and I probably do all the time, you know? And this is Abraham, right? Father Abraham. This is the, he's the patriarch. He's like the guy. And so you read that and you're like, man, if karma was true, then if they would have gotten what they deserved, then there's no way that the promise should have been fulfilled, right? And so we see that karma is not how God works, that you don't get what you deserve, so on your worst day, or on your best day, you're not manipulating God into like doing great things for you or terrible things to you or whatever. It's, just, it's false. It's not how God works. And this is one of many examples where we see that's not how it is. But a lot of times, we tend to, we tend to kind of buy into that idea in the rest of the world, and we just kind of throw that onto Him as well. But instead of karma, we see the grace of God at work. We see, if you think of grace in terms of unmerited favor, you know, it's, the, it's, it's God looking at a life and saying, I really, I, I, I dig your life. I love you. Uh, I like you. I want the best for you. And my favor is going to come to you not, because you, but not because it's merited by something not because you did like 12 good things this week, so I'm going to bless you. I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. Or not because, oh, you did 12 bad things this week, so I'm going to with, I'm, guess I'm not, I'm not going to follow through with my promise. The favor of God is unmerited. It's, 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 he's, the, he's the source for that. We're not the source for it. And the bottom line at the end of the day is that God keeps all of his promises. Even to the point where when, when God decided to write Hebrews 11.11, 11, He highlights the goodness of her heart. Look at it again. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered Him faithful who'd promised. He looked, he looked at her heart and He was like, no, there's belief, there's belief there. Sure. 
He's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna um, use you as an ex- as an eternal example of what to not do. He's like, I'm gonna use you as an example of the fact that I keep my promises regardless of if you're dumb or not. And that that should rest really, really well on us. To know that his promises to you are going to be kept. And so if you're if you're having like just kind of a bad streak, you know, if things are rough, you're not forfeiting something. That he's still with you, he still loves you, that the twenty third Psalm is still real for you, that he still has covered all of your sins, that you are still forgiven and he is still preparing a place for you and making you new and you will forever live with him and reign alongside him on the new earth. Which doesn't mean just to stay in a bad place, you know. It's, it's really for us to recognize just the, the true amazingness of grace. That uh, just because the world maybe thinks in a way that's kind of driven by karma or even uh, it may function that way. We, the kingdom of the world maybe kind of operates that way, but I think God over and over again in the scriptures is saying, no, that's not how I work, and that's not how my kingdom works. And Sarah is an example of that for us. And so we need to let him speak deeply to us in those ways that maybe we're still kind of thinking, yeah, you, you get what you deserve. And he's like, no, not in my kingdom. That's not how it works. You get what I want you to get. You get what I want you to get. And what I want you to get is me. (laughs) All of me. And so that's what you're going to get. So in in your worst day, in your best day, we're getting what he wants. Because that's how his grace works. It's his to give. And whatever he wants, whatever ways he wants to give it, however much he wants to give, it's him. And so that's the first thing, karma versus grace, uh, that we see. He keeps his promises. The second thing that we see uh, is sort of like, um, I would describe it as maybe like, maybe siblings with karma. And it's a difference between earning and, uh, and a, what I just term a response. Earning and a response. Um, when I say earning, the reason why it's related to karma is because it's kind of along the same lines, but it's sort of taking a different perspective on it. Um, we think, okay, I earn the blessings or curses, all right, just to use two extreme terms. I earn the blessings or curses that come my way. Therefore, I can control my own destiny. You know? And so in some ways, it's thinking like, okay, um, I'm going to do these good things, and so God has to bless me. Uh, rarely do we think, I'm going to do these bad things so God has to curse me, you know, like that. But uh, sometimes it works forward in a positive way, but a lot of times it works, in, it works backwards in a negative way. Uh, probably most of us are okay with, with kind of understanding, like, okay, I'm, I'm not earning stuff from the Lord. Um, but when you work your way backwards, it's like, okay, when something, something negative happens, something bad happens... We kind of work backwards and we're like, okay, so I, I guess I kind of earned that because 
I haven't done enough of these things or whatever. And so um, kind of like James Bryan Smith, uh, who authored The Good and Beautiful God, he said, this just feeds our desire to control things. You know, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this ship around. You know, like I'm going to, uh, things are going to get better. I'm going to dig my heels in. I'm going to work harder and I'm going to earn my way back into the favor of God. And, uh, and this is really dangerous because we end up letting our circumstances tell us things that circumstances are not designed to tell us. Uh, when this is the way that we think, we end up uh, letting our circumstances tell us something about God instead of God telling us something about our circumstances. You know, like we, we have it upside down. And, and so Jesus comes and he's trying to set things right side up. Uh, but when we're so, it's so ingrained in us sometimes, that's how we look at it. And so if you look back at verse 11, it's easy to kind of get this from verse 11. Uh, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. You can look at that and you can emphasize it in just a certain way and it reads as though like she considered him faithful who had promised, therefore he let her get pregnant. You know, he allowed her to conceive. He worked this miracle in her life um, because she, like, because she believed. And if your thinking is, if it's about earning, which is like siblings with karma, if that's the way that you're thinking God works, then that's how we interpret that verse. And so it's like, okay, so the things I really want. I just have to like believe really, really hard, and then like God will, He'll have to give me that stuff because we earn it. We earn the bad stuff, or we earn the good stuff. So you got to work to earn the like really work really hard to earn the good stuff, and then the good stuff will come because God's a promiser, right? Like He's faithful, and that that puts us in control of things to the point where when something bad happens, we're like, okay, what did I do to deserve this? Like, what did I do to bring this on myself? And you kind of work your way through it and you're like, oh, okay, I, I see, you know, whatever. And, and then you're like, okay, so, um, so you let your circumstances tell you something about God. We're working, we're working in the wrong direction. The verse is not saying that, be, like, since she believed, she strong-armed God into having to back up his promise. That's, that's not what the verse says. But there's a lot of people who kind of think God works that way. That's why the, like the prosperity gospel is so attractive to people. Because you know? when you have a preacher stand up in front of you and point to these verses and, and say, this is saying like, if you tithe, God has to like, double your income next week. You know? and so people are like, oh, okay, and they send in these checks or they send in a, 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 you know, a sock or something that the preacher like will somehow bless and mail it back to him. You know, and there's all these things that are going on. You're like, I don't really understand it. And they're feeding on the fact that as Americans especially, but just people in the West, we kind of think that that's how it works. That we control whether or not God blesses us or curses us. You know, that we earn it. And that verse is not saying that that's what happened here. But it does tell us something about God that's, in some ways, it's a subtle difference, but really, it's very, very deep and very, very important. Um, The difference between earning and God responding to us. That's what what happened here. See, God, God responds to the circumstances. 
He responds to us like a parent to a child. And that's what we see going on here. It's not that Sarah earned it. It's that her good father responded to her faith. I'm going to throw a bunch of, bunch of examples up on the screen. You don't need to turn to any of these. I'm not going to turn to them. I'm going to turn around, actually, to them. Um, really a couple of these examples. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, such a famous passage. Um, the Lord said to Samuel, so they're looking for a king. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He's looking for a king, and he's saying, look, I don't really care if he's like tall and strong and good-looking. It doesn't really matter. What I'm looking at, I'm looking at the inward stuff, and uh, that's, that's what I'm drawn to. That's what I pay attention to. That's what gets my attention. That's what I respond to, is the inner, the inner life of my children. Um, let's see, Exodus 32, 14. Uh, there's some weirdness going on, and Moses starts to plead with the Lord, and the verse says, the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Some, some translations say the Lord changed his mind. A lot of people have like, oh, kind of problems with that, you know. So basically, God, God was like, hey, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses is like, hey, what about this? And he's like, all right, I'm not going to do it. It's like, ah, we can change God's mind. It's like, no, it's not that you're changing his mind. It's that God's response to the circumstances. And so when, when Moses is pleading and he's basically praying and dialoguing with the Lord, God's like, all right, it's a different situation now. And there's situations where God's like, like hey, I wanna, hey, I'm going to destroy this city. And you're like, well, what about the righteous ones? And God's like, all right, you find me however many. I won't destroy it. God's not being fickle. He's not wishy-washy. He's not whatever. He's saying, no, like if, if this is what happens, if my children are there and they are living and it is a righteous situation, I, I'm, I respond differently to that. Um, very similar, uh, where is it? 2 Chronicles 7.14. All right? This is a, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and heal their land. See, if you think that that this that earning is how God works, then you look at this and you're like, "Oh, cool! So all we have to do is get the formula right. We just have to uh, we need to have a prayer meeting and beg God to you know bless the USA and." Uh, that kind of stuff, and then he's going to hear us, and he's going to have to forgive our sin and heal our land. If you think that karma and earning are how God works, and that's how you look at this verse, you're like, cool, so I do, uh, I do this, 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 and then you do this. It's like abracadabra, you got to get the formula right, whatever, and that's how it works. And that's, but that's not what God's saying. God responds to the situation, and so if you, but if you look at it through him responding, he's saying, look, if I have people who are humble, and they are seeking me, and they are turning from wickedness, and they're pursuing holiness, then you know what? I pay attention to that. That gets my attention. And that's where healing comes, and that's where forgiveness comes. And where that happens, then it goes outward. You know, like when a rock goes into a pond, it goes out from there, and the, like the, the land is blessed. He's like, look, I respond to that. That's what gets my attention. 
Um, we're going to look at it, but in the, in the Lord's Prayer, uh, he talks about like the secret prayer life, not praying outside where everybody can see you, but praying inwardly. Uh, in Matthew 23, he talks about you know, the, uh, the internal life is what he looks at, not the external life. Um, Proverbs 3, we'll put this one up. Proverbs 3.34 um, is quoted in James 4 and in 1 Peter 5. It says, Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. It's saying a humble heart, that's what gets my attention, that's what I respond to. He even says that he gives more grace. More grace to the humble. You're like, wait a minute, I didn't think we could get like more, more of God's love or more of God's presence. I said, no, I didn't say love, I didn't say presence, I said grace. You don't need grace to be prideful, you're good at that on your own, right? I know I'm super good at it, I don't need grace for that. I need grace to be humble. And so when I'm asking for grace and I'm humbling myself and there's more grace, you're like, oh, that's pretty awesome. And it just keeps happening and happening and happening. All throughout the Bible, God's saying, look, I'm like all this external stuff, I'm not real into it. I'm into the internal. That's what I pay attention to. And so when you go back to Hebrews 11 and we see uh, the verse again, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised what that verse is telling us is it's not about earning, it's not about karma, it's the fact that God responds to the hearts of His people. And she believed. Now certainly there are parts of her that are like, hey, I'm an old, old lady. I don't think this is going to happen. To the point where she was manipulating the circumstances, but at some point she worked through her unbelief and landed in a place of belief And God's like, yeah, exactly. And you know what? I think God's a lot more understanding than we think He is sometimes, or we make Him out to be. You know, for some reason, I feel like we think like like maybe you know like when Sarah when Sarah in the story like was like, hey, this is Hagar, and this is what we're gonna do, and Abraham was like, okay, you know, whatever. Like I think we feel like God's like rolling his eyes or getting super mad or like bringing a thunderstorm with lots of loud pound, you know, he's moving, moving furniture in heaven to like get their attention, you know, something weird like that. Like we think like he's so uptight about stuff when I think maybe, maybe, maybe he's like, yeah, I don't blame you that you laughed because it's kind of laughable. I can see why you think that that's funny. I can see why you think that it's ridiculous. I can see why you think that it's impossible. I think, I think he gets it. And I don't think he gets as angry as sometimes we think he does. Um, I think he's like, all right, no, I, I get that. I understand your unbelief. Let me lead you through your unbelief to a place of realizing that you know, exactly who I am. And probably some of us in this room are, are looking at things where you're kind of like, it's kind of in the impossible category, you know. And you're like, no, that'll never happen. I'll never get through this. I'll never get past this. I'll ne- this, this struggle will never be a part of my life. You know, there's just a lot of things that are there. And I think, I, think God's, I think He understands the doubt. I think He understands the fear. I think He understands the control. Um, but I don't think He's going like, to put up with it. You know what I mean? Like in a good way. We tend to put up with it with it with each other sometimes, you know, because we can't. 
I don't know, you're trying to minister to one of your friends and walk with them through something, and if they're digging their heels in and they're just like, I refuse to whatever, like, what can you do? I mean, you love them and you pray for them, you encourage them and you speak truth to them, but you can't do it for them. So sometimes we put up with it because we're afraid of awkward conversations, and sometimes we put up with it because we just don't know what else to do. Uh, but the Lord, He doesn't put up with it. You know, He understands it. But he's like, hey, I'm, I'm still going to lead you down the path of righteousness for my name's sake. You're, you're still walking with me, and, and guess what? We're, we're heading into the valley of the shadow of death. You know? It'll be okay, though. And even though you're afraid, or even though you're doubting, or even though you're kind of laughing, or even though you think it's impossible, and even though you're whatever, I'm still going to lead you, and it's still going to be okay. Um, I'm not going to hang out with you on the edge of the valley of the shadow of death just because you're scared to walk through it. Uh, I'm going to lead you through it. We're going we're gonna to go. It's going to be fine. And so Sarah and, and Abraham, in the midst of whatever, we see that, that God is a keeper of his promises. We see that karma falls apart. We see that earning falls apart. That God is going to get it done. And unfortunately, there's an overcorrection that sometimes happens when we start to talk about this stuff. And the overcorrection is, okay, cool. So what I do, like my actions don't matter. Right? Nothing really, nothing really matters. God's going to do his thing, and I'm just, you know, whatever. It's like, no, that's, that's not what's going on here either. But yeah, you don't get what you deserve, and you don't earn it. God's made, his prom- made promises to his children, and the fulfillment of those promises is not contingent on whether or not we're being, like, we're walking in obedience or not. You know, we've been looking at uh, Colossians 1 in our community groups, and uh, it's interesting because, you know, Jesus says that our actions come from within, and that's what God responds to. And in Colossians 1, you don't have to turn to it, we're going to put it up on the screen, uh, verse 21 um, that we've looked at, uh, in talking about identity and talking about what he's done and talking about uh, so much of these things, um, 21 kind of describes like the old life, you know, being alienated and hostile. Uh, and that's the life of karma. That's the life of earning. But it's also the life of my actions don't matter. Who cares? I can do whatever I want. God's going to do his thing and, you know, whatever. That's what you think. And so when we look at you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... You know, we kind of talked through that a little bit of like life before him and all that. 22 shows us not only what, like 21 is like this is what you're freed from. All right. You're free from hostility and angst and uh, being separate from God, alienated. And this is uh, what he's freed you for. He's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So, no, that's, this, is why, this is a part of why he's done this for you. It's to free you from a life of karma and earning, and also to free you from a life of complete license to just think, oh, I'll just go do whatever I want, you know, and God, he'll do his thing, and, you know, whatever. He's freed us from that in order for us to walk in holiness and to be blameless and for him to, pre- like, present us before God the Father it's completely new and completely pure and completely there. 
And this is not just a future statement. It's not just like, yeah, one day there'll be you, but for now, you know, whatever. It's like, no, this is what he's freed you, you and I for now. It's for us to walk in that grace and to walk in the kind of life that where God's making us more and more every single day into the kind of people who get the attention of God because our inward lives are being renewed day after day after day after day. Transformed from one degree of, of glory to another. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, that's what's happening. Renewal, renewal, renewal. And as we're renewed, that's like the heart that gets the attention of God, and He responds to that, and that's the abundant life that we're walking. I mean, that's how it all like, fits together. So freed from a life of earning and karma, freed for the, the purposes of walking in grace, living by faith, walking with Him through things, Him responding to us because He is our Father. And the last thing that we see in this deal is the difference between my plan and His plan. We see my plan versus His plan. Freed to walk in His plan for your life. To to see it written in front of us, you know, to have the Bible here. Like, I know, I understand enough I don't know everything about my future. I don't know everything about tomorrow, but I know enough. Free to understand this and work through this together and uh, let this guide our lives. Free to follow Him into whatever and not have to be afraid and not have to earn it and not have to worry about a misstep here and there and not worry about Him turning His back on us and not worry about those things. Free Free to follow Him. Free to not have to manipulate Him. Free to not have to do what Sarah and Abraham did and how to figure out, oh, we got to like, figure out some way to like, make sure this really happens. Like, free to just trust Him to like, do His thing. Free to understand grace more deeply, a little bit at a time. Free to not have pressure on us constantly. Free to love Him, to love each other. Free to... You name it. Name name whatever. Free for it. When it's my plan, you get a situation like Ishmael. Right? When it's his plan, you get a situation like Isaac. There's such a contrast between those two situations. I've had plenty of situations in my life where I've taken control and tried to make things happen or whatever, and you end, up, you end up in a weird situation. And I'm learning the older I get and the longer I walk with him, just learning to just calm down and relax and trust and obey and open up to him, open up to other people, and that's what we're doing together, right? That's what... That's why he's put us in a family together. And so we learn from them. We learn from Sarah and Abraham. We learn through the ways they got it right, and we learn through the ways they didn't get it right. And we see a lot about who he is, the things he's freed us from, and the things he's freed us for as we follow him ahead. So, that's that. Let me pray for us. We're going to sing a little bit. God, I, um, I'm grateful for, um, for those who 
who walked in truth so long ago and who trusted you. I'm thankful that they got a lot of things right. I'm also, in a weird way, thankful that they got some things wrong. Uh, and the fact that we learn from both, from both cases. And God, we just admittedly, we, we tend to kind of settle into those narratives of earning and karma and whatever. And Jesus, you lived on the earth, so you, you understand how, how prominent those are. Now, in the kingdom of this world, that's, that really is how it works a lot of the time. Um, I'm thankful that you uh, have freed us from that, and you have set us right side up, and you're teaching us how to live that way. Um, we need your help to, to break out of just thinking that we kind of earn things, and we get what we deserve, and that kind of stuff. We need your help to not work backwards from things where when bad things happen, we let that tell us something about you. We want to go the other way. We want, we want you to be speaking into our circumstances and not letting our circumstances speak things about you. We just need your help with that. And, uh, I pray, Father, that you'd help us to uh, really to let go of some of the things that we really like, hold to so tightly as far as like our plans and our ways and our families, our money, our like whatever. Uh, pray, God, that we would live in such a way where we, we let those play the role they're supposed to play. I'm thankful, God, that we see from Sarah and Abraham that you keep your promises. And that you respond, you respond to hearts that are humble and trusting. That Sarah believed that you as the promiser were faithful. And that got your attention. And pray that you would help us in our humility to seek your face and to live in such a way where we're wide open. We know our lives are not our own. That you have bought our lives with the price of your own life that you have brought us from being alienated and hostile. And through your death, you have given us new life, making us holy and without blemish and free from accusation. Just ask for your help, Father, and apply these things where we are. And as we sing, pray, God, that you would continue to Speak to us and let us just respond to you.